Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Plato's Apology, Part 1 The Apology is Plato's account of Socrates' defense, which is what the Greek word apologeo means, before an Athenian jury of 501 citizens. It is ironic that the English transliteration of the Greek term carries connotations of saying, I'm sorry, because this type of apology is nowhere to be found in Socrates' speech. All trials of this type in Athens were required to be completed in a single day. The order of the trial was as follows. The prosecution presents its case. The defendant presents his response. This is the point at which the apology opens. Then there is a deliberation by the jury and a verdict of guilty and not guilty given, followed by a penalty phase, if the defendant is found guilty, in which both the prosecution and the defense propose a penalty for those found guilty, another deliberation on the penalty and a verdict, and closing words of the defendant. As necessary background for the apology, we must review some information on the paid itinerant teachers called sophists. The most famous of these teachers was Protagoras, who famously claimed that, quote, man is the measure of all things. Sophist means wise one. Though by Plato and Socrates' time, it had morphed into a less than flattering appellation. As a result, our English term, sophistry, means clever but misleading reasoning. The reason for this reversal of meaning is that the sophists were relativists, who taught rhetoric, the art of persuasive speech, the ability to win arguments. That is, not necessarily to have the best argument, what we call logic. If, as Protagoras maintained, all standards are human in origin, then there is no such thing as right and wrong. Even slavery is not wrong in any absolute sense. It is simply wrong in our current society. In the same way that we find this claim morally repugnant, the Athenians felt that the sophists were undermining public morality. Much of Socrates' speech in the Apology is meant to distance himself from the sophists of his day, with whom he was popularly associated. The Apology Socrates How you, O Athenians, have been affected by my accusers, I cannot tell. But I know that they almost made me forget who I was, so persuasively did they speak. And yet they have hardly uttered a word of truth. But of the many falsehoods told by them, there was one which quite amazed me. I mean when they said that you should be upon your guard and not allow yourselves to be deceived by the force of my eloquence. <laughs> to say this, when they were certain to be detected as soon as I opened my lips and proved myself to be anything but a great speaker, did indeed appear to me most shameless, unless by the force of eloquence they mean the force of truth. For if such is their meaning, I admit that I am eloquent. But in how different a way from theirs? Well, as I was saying, 
They have scarcely spoken the truth at all. But from me you shall hear the whole truth, not, however, delivered after their manner in a set oration duly ornamented with words and phrases. No, by heaven, but I shall use the words and arguments which occur to me at the moment, for I am confident in the justice of my cause, or I am certain that I am right in taking this course. At my time of life, I ought not to be appearing before you, O men of Athens, in the character of a juvenile orator. Let no one expect it of me. And I must beg of you to grant me a favor. If I defend myself in my accustomed manner, and you hear me using the words which I have been in the habit of using in the Agora, at the tables of the money changers, or anywhere else, I would ask you not to be surprised, and not to interrupt me on this account, for I am more than seventy years of age, and appearing now for the first time in a court of law. I am quite a stranger to the language of this place, and therefore I would have you regard me as if I were really a stranger, whom you would excuse if he spoke in his native tongue, and after the fashion of his country. Am I making an unfair request of you? Never mind the manner, which may or may not be good, but think only of the truth of my words, and give heed to that. Let the speaker speak truly, and the judge decide justly. And first, I have to reply to the older charges, and to my first accusers, and then I will go on to the later ones. For of old I have had many accusers, who have accused me falsely to you during many years, and I am more afraid of them than of Anatus and his associates, who are dangerous too in their own way. But far more dangerous are the others, who began when you were children, and took possession of your minds with their falsehoods, telling of one Socrates, a wise man who speculated about the heaven above, and searched into the earth beneath, and made the worse appear the better cause. The disseminators of this tale are the accusers whom I dread, for their hearers are apt to fancy that such inquirers do not believe in the existence of the gods. And they are many, and their charges against me are of ancient date and they were made by them in the days when you were more impressionable than you are now, in childhood, or it may have been in youth, and the cause when heard went by default, for there was none to answer. And hardest of all, I do not know and cannot tell the names of my accusers, unless in the chance case of a comic poet. All who from envy and malice have persuaded you, some of them having first convinced themselves, all this class of men are most difficult to deal with, for I cannot have them up here and cross-examine them, and therefore I must simply fight with shadows in my own defense, and argue when there is no one who answers. I will ask you then to assume with me, as I was saying, that my opponents are of two kinds, one recent, the other ancient and I hope that you will see the propriety of my answering the latter first. 
For these accusations you heard long before the others, and much oftener. Well, then, I must make my defense, and endeavor to clear away in a short time a slander which has lasted a long time. May I succeed, if to succeed be for my good and yours, or likely to avail me in my cause. The task is not an easy one. I quite understand the nature of it. And so, leaving the event with God, in obedience to the law, I will now make my defense. I will begin at the beginning, and ask, what is the accusation which has given rise to the slander of me, and in fact has encouraged Miletus to proof this charge against me? Well, what do the slanderers say? They shall be my prosecutors, and I will sum up their words in an affidavit. Socrates is an evil doer and a curious person who searches into things under the earth and in heaven, and he makes the worse appear the better cause, and he teaches the aforesaid doctrines to others. Such is the nature of the accusation. It is just what you have yourselves seen in the comedy of Aristophanes, who has introduced a man whom he calls Socrates, going about and saying that he walks in air, and talking a deal of nonsense concerning matters of which I do not pretend to know, either much or little. Not that I mean to speak disparagingly of anyone who is a student of natural philosophy. I should be very sorry if Miletus could bring so grave a charge against me. But the simple truth is, O Athenians, that I have nothing to do with physical speculations. Very many of those here present are witnesses to the truth of this, and to them I appeal. Speak then, you who have heard me, and tell your neighbors whether any of you have ever known me hold forth in a few words or in many, upon such matters. You hear their answer, and from what they say of this part of the charge, you will be able to judge of the truth of the rest. As little foundation is there for the report that I am a teacher, and take money. This accusation has no more truth in it than the other. Although, if a man were really able to instruct mankind, to receive money for giving instruction would, in my opinion, be an honor to him. There is Gorgias of Leontium, and Prodicus of Chios, and Hippias of Elis, who go the round of the cities and are able to persuade the young men to leave their own citizens, by whom they might be taught for nothing, and come to them whom they not only pay, but are thankful if they may be allowed to pay them. There is at this time a Parian philosopher residing in Athens, of whom I have heard, and I came to hear of him in this way. I came across a man who has spent a world of money on the sophists, Callias, the son of Hipponicus, and knowing that he had sons, I asked him, Callias, I said, if your two sons were foals or calves, there would be no difficulty in finding someone to put over them. We would hire a trainer of horses, or a farmer, probably, who would improve and perfect them in their own proper virtue and excellence. But as they are human beings, 
Whom are you thinking of placing over them? Is there anyone who understands human and political virtue? You must have thought about the matter, for you have sons. Is there anyone? There is, he said. Who is he? said I. And of what country? And what does he charge? Evanus the Parian, he replied. He is the man, and his charge is five mina. Happy is Evanus, I said to myself, if he really has this wisdom and teaches at such a moderate charge. Had I the same, I should have been very proud and conceited. But the truth is that I have no knowledge of the kind. I dare say, Athenians, that someone among you will reply, Yes, Socrates, but what is the origin of these accusations which are brought against you? There must have been something strange which you have been doing. All these rumors and this talk about you would never have arisen if you had been like other men. Tell us, then, what is the cause of them? For we should be sorry to judge hastily of you. Now, I regard this as a fair challenge, and I will endeavor to explain to you the reason why I am called wise and have such an evil fame. Please to attend, then. And although some of you may think that I am joking, I declare that I will tell you the entire truth. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.